You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us as we begin the summer. Things aren't slowing down, though, here in Washington, D.C., with lots of corruption news. A major new game changer, perhaps, from President Trump with a new announcement for declassifying documents. I'll talk about that. Some nice little victories for Judicial Watch. We're getting attorney's fees from a Antifa activists out in California for a frivolous lawsuit. And we've uncovered more corruption in the deep state attempts to take out President Trump, namely the Orr family seems to have been deleting emails related possibly to Russia. And on top of that, we've sued in court again to get access to more cover-up documents, this one uh, against the FBI over its sham investigation. It looks like there's some cover-up materials they've yet to release, a chart of Clinton crimes, literally, to the American people. So a lot to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the good news. Uh, there's been infighting, I shouldn't say infighting, well, I guess it's within the government, between Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and President Trump. Uh, the President is suffering unprecedented harassment from Congress and uh, other agents of Congress. Uh, in terms of harassing investigations, subpoenas for his financial records, uh, subpoenas and requests for his tax records, the sorts of material that Congress rarely, if ever, has asked of any other president, and it's inappropriate to ask of this president. It's a violative of his rights. I would suggest it uh, is designed to attack and undermine the presidency in an unconstitutional way. Uh, but the president uh, recognizes that the game is on in terms of Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats and their allies creating a fake scandal and calling it obstruction when the president objects uh, to these harassing, redundant investigative requests from Congress about Russiagate uh, and, again, in prying improperly into his uh, into his uh, business affairs and his personal finances. Uh, just uh, truly abusive uh, uh, activities by Congress. The president is obviously tired of it. He had a meeting this week with Nancy Pelosi uh, to talk pr- uh, about infrastructure, and he basically told them, look, you know, uh, if you want to do something, that's fine, but it's not going to happen as long as you accuse me falsely of a cover-up. And so the game is that Nancy Pelosi is creating this fake crisis over the president's objections to lawless requests for information, and they're suggesting that's impeachable. So they couldn't impeach him on collusion because there's no collusion. They couldn't impeach him on obstruction because there's no obstruction. Instead, they're going to invent this fake fight over documents they have no constitutional right to, or certainly to the right they have, these, uh, any rights they have to these documents are severely constrained and will be subject to court challenge. The president's uh, already begun some court challenges. He's lost the initial lower court challenges in the two jurisdictions, but those will be taken up on appeal and likely go to the Supreme Court. So they're threatening to impeach him over this. And, uh, you know, as I've told you, uh, the sedition, the attack on President Trump began when he was a candidate. It continued through the beginning of the administration with James Comey and that crew targeting Trump improperly. 
Then you had it transform into the Mueller investigation. And in my view, the coup uh, continues with the end of the Mueller investigation as they hand it off to Congress. Now, of course, literally, is it a coup? I don't know. I think, it, I think there's a strong argument that when Congress seeks to uh, create the circumstances to illicitly remove, without good reason, an elected president, I think it's fair to call it a coup. So this coup cabal, uh, you know, composed of House Democrats, who obviously had been working, it's pretty clear, with the Clinton, DNC, Obama, get Trump operation, Fusion GPS, all the rest trying to take out Trump. Now they're using the powers entrusted to them to the American people that they gained when they uh, obtained the majority in November to harass one man. Remember, this is harassing one man. The president is president, but he's also a citizen. And the attacks on this one citizen, to me, are reprehensible. And this is not about policy agreements or disagreements with President Trump. You know, we can all argue about whether there should be taxes. We can argue about amnesty. We can argue about whatever topic of public policy you want. Uh, but we should all agree that the powers of government shouldn't be used to abuse a citizen because of his political views. And I think that's what's happening here. And so uh, the president needs to push back. And I've always said, as you know, because Judicial Watch is a transparency organization, we use the Freedom of Information Act to uncover do government documents. And we've been second to none in doing so, uncovering key information about other abuses of power by the Obama gang, namely the IRS, uh, the big corruption surrounding the Benghazi lies by Obama-Clinton most recently. And certainly we've been in the forefront with over 50 lawsuits designed to uncover the truth about the coup and other illegal abuses targeting, targeting President Trump. Now, one of the hurdles we face in pursuing these Freedom of Information Act requests and lawsuits is classification. Now, look, I don't want uh, the locations of troop concentrations overseas. I don't want anything that's truly and direly uh, needs to be classified. But in, in our experience, when someone says you can't have something about an issue of government corruption because it's classified, more often than not, it's a lie, meaning the classification is not necessary. It doesn't protect sources or methods. It's not designed to protect, uh, it's not designed to protect national security, which is why you have classified documents to begin with and classified information. Usually, especially in the case of the targeting of President Trump, the classification is, to design, is designed to protect uh, government misconduct from being exposed, and specifically the personal and potentially criminal liability of those government officials behind the misconduct. So when you hear things need to be classified, you, you should be hearing is, we need to protect the corrupt gang at the FBI that was running it for a time, Comey, McCabe, Page, Strzok. We need to protect the corrupt individuals over at the Justice Department, Attorney General Lynch, Sally Yates. We need to protect John Brennan. We need to protect James Clapper. We need to protect John Kerry over at the State Department, whose agency was front and center in targeting Trump. We need to protect Barack Obama and Joe Biden and Susan Rice. 
So when you hear this material needs to be classified, that's what you should be translating it to. We need to protect the corrupt politicians behind the worst government corruption scandal in American history. And uh, thankfully, the president is uh, finally taking steps to uh, address this issue of classification as cover-up. And he issued just yesterday, May 23rd, a memorandum on agency cooperation with Attorney General's review of intelligence activities relating to the 2016 presidential campaigns. The key to declassifying the information. Sub, and he, the memorandum is to the Secretary of Treasury, Defense, the Attorney General, the Department of Energy, the Secretary of Energy. Huh, I wonder how they're involved. Homeland Security, National Intelligence, Director of uh, National Intelligence, and the CIA Director. The subject, agency cooperation with the Attorney General's review of intelligence activities relating to the 2016 presidential campaign. By the authority vested in me as president, of the, by the, as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, I hereby direct the following. Section 1, agency cooperation. The Attorney General is currently conducting a review of intelligence activities relating to the campaigns in the 2016 presidential election and certain related matters. The heads of elements of the intelligence community and the heads of each department or agency that includes an element of the intelligence community shall promptly provide such assistance and information as the Attorney General may request in connection with that review. So what that does, that cuts through the stonewalling and cover-up that agencies play, even with lawful investigations into that agency's conduct. I mean, you may think the Attorney General is able to get these documents easily, able to get cooperation easily from agency uh, heads and uh, deep staters in these various uh, agencies we're talking about that the President is directing this to. That's not the case. The bureaucratic infighting, again, to protect and preserve the agency's reputation uh, from being exposed as uh, corrupt or, uh, or abuses by the agency being exposed generally, that often takes precedence. And that's why sometimes it's hard to get, even from the Attorney General of the United States, uh, uh, the necessary information because he can't get it. Section 2. Declassification and downgrading. With respect to any matter classified under Executive Order 13526 of December 29, 2009, which it sets out classified uh, national security information, the Attorney General may, by applying the standards set forth, I'm not going to read that out again, declassify, downgrade, or direct the declassification or downgrading of information or intelligence that relates to the Attorney General's review referred to in Section 1 of this memorandum. Before exercising this authority, the Attorney General should, to the extent he deems it practicable, consult with the head of the originating intelligence community element or department. The authority is not delegable and applies notwithstanding any other authorities. Uh, authorization or limitation set forth in the classified executive order authority. Wow. So Attorney General Barr is the declassification czar as designated by President Trump. So when you hear the language that originating entities or agencies can't get in the way of the Attorney General declassifying it, 
it means that the CIA can't say, this is a CIA document and we're not going to allow it to be declassified. Because the Attorney General, as authorized by the President of the United States, can declassify the information. Same goes for defense. Same goes for these other agencies. So this game that goes on, where you get stonewalling, half-baked answers, or dishonest answers, could end if the Attorney General exercises this new authority appropriately. And I suspect we're going to get an initial wave of releases as a result of this declassification initiative by the president. This may be the most significant declassification document ever issued by a president. Why? Because it refers to the most, co- most significant corruption scandal in American history, spying on and targeting a President Trump. And of course, we're excited about it because we've got, as I said, 50 lawsuits covering these issues. I mean, we had asked, for instance, about the unmasking documents. You know, what's the unmasking? You may not remember, but this was the Obama administration asking uh, what happens is that we collect intelligence by monitoring folks overseas, and sometimes Americans get caught up in that intelligence gathering. You could call uh, Target A in uh, Timbuktu, and because we're monitoring Target A in Timbuktu as part of our foreign intelligence surveillance operations, which are appropriate, they'll pick up your communications. And unless there's a real significant need to know, your privacy is protected from consumers of that intelligence here in Washington, D.C. So the report may say, American X talked to subject A in Timbuktu about topic C. Now, if you're a consumer of that intelligence data, you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. But if you have a real need to know, they'll come around and violate or lift that person's privacy protection and let the consumer know. Who consumers? Like the UN Ambassador Samantha Power or Susan Rice in the Obama White House. And it looks like there were hundreds of such requests targeting political enemies of President Obama, where American citizens were caught up in foreign intelligence and the Obama administration was using this intelligence as a Google search operation. Oh, let's see who who gets picked up in this communication. I mean, that's an imperfect way of describing it, but I, 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 uh, I don't know how else to talk about it with you. I mean, normally these names are kept private, and they're kept private at the discretion of expert intelligence analysts. So if the material is given to the consumer, like the president or the vice president or the national security advisor or the UN ambassador, I don't know why she needs to, feels the need to go and uh, violate or invade the privacy of American citizens caught up in this intelligence surveillance. They would have put the name in there if they thought they needed to know initially. So you, in hundreds of cases, you have them overruling the considered judgment of the intelligence agencies in asking for the identity of these Americans. Hundreds of times. Now, we sued the State Department for the hundreds of unmaskings by Samantha Power. 
And you know what their response was? We can't even tell you one way or another whether such unmaskings exist because to do so would harm national security. A perfect example of classification authority being used to cover up corruption. Now, the reports are that those unmaskings might be released as a result of this. What are the other things that might be released? The rest of the FISA warrant application, that fraudulent application, used to defraud the FISA courts to gain spying authority on the Trump team. Who knows? There could be other FISA warrants out there. We asked for the FISA warrant that we believe existed based on public reports of General Flynn. They told us they couldn't confirm or deny. Were there other FISA warrants targeting the Trump team? We don't know. So this is a vehicle for getting the documents out into the American, to the American public so they can see what's going on. It allows the agency, the Justice Department, to more efficiently investigate whether something went on, illegally or otherwise, in targeting the Trump team. When you're investigating national security-related issues, classification hampers efficient and effective investigations. And sometimes it's appropriate because you've got to weigh our national security and the need to protect sources and methods and things like that against the desire and the need for justice and a full investigation. And I've told you, I've told you here that, believe you me, the classification that's being used to obstruct uh, that, that has been used to obstruct congressional investigations for three, two or three years now, and I bet you that's being used to obstruct Attorney General Barr now. By the way, I don't know if I read this to you. Well, anyway, uh, it's not in here, but the Attorney General requested this from President Trump, which suggests he needed help and authority from the President to cut through the obstruction. And I guarantee you that the Kukabal is going to see this. They're already attacking it. They're demanding transparency from President Trump on irrelevant issues while expressing alarm at transparency from President Trump on core issues of what our government's been up to in terms of spying on a political campaign. And yes, the President of the United States. Let me tell you how complicated this is. I, I was on Fox News uh, earlier today, and I was talking about this. Stephen Halper, who is the operative, the FBI informant tasked with spying on the Trump team, both George Papadopoulos during the campaign, and yes, he even went to the Trump White House at one point. He was obviously working with the FBI, it's been reported. He also had this big contract over at the, the Defense Department. We've sued for information on that. A whistleblower that we've been helping and we know, Adam Lovinger, has suggested, I mean, he complained about what Halper was getting over at the Pentagon. What, what, why was he getting paid all this money to do what? And Halper's partner in what I think this illicit spying was, was this woman who is a government investigator which implies she didn't work for the FBI, she worked for another agency. So, and it was done in London. 
So the spying and the meeting with Papadopoulos was done in London, which would obviously involve the State Department authorities as well. So you had the Defense Department, the FBI, the State Department, and maybe the CIA, depending on who this woman worked for, all involved in this one operation. That's why you need this, this declassification authority so the Attorney General on this, even, this one spy operation can gather all the evidence from all the agencies. There's a lot of work for the Attorney General to do here. And, uh, and I hope as a result of our FOIAs and our FOIA lawsuits, the Attorney General will recognize there's also a public interest in getting this out. It's not just for his use to do criminal investigations. We need to know the truth. And so once this material is declassified, they won't be able to withhold it from Judicial Watch under those reasons anymore. Because I tell you, if, if the government comes in and tells us in court, and tells the court, this material is classified, the court doesn't, uh, well, I mean, it depends on who's asking sometimes, but the court rarely seconds, second guesses classification of decisions by the government. It's not their job to figure out where, whether the executive branch properly classified material. Sometimes it is their job, but you know, they're loath to do that. So when they say it's classified, that's usually insurmountable in court cases under FOIA. So this is a potential game changer. So credit to President Trump for taking this important step. And Attorney General Barr is someone who's got the experience, both in government and out of government, to know what's up and what's down, what's sideways and not. So I, I, I pray that he follows through here. But as I always say, we'll keep the pressure on with our independent lawsuits and investigations. Because they, you know, declassification isn't the um, end all and be all in terms of uh, exposing all the cover ups, because it's just one, one reason they use to withhold documents. The other big reason is the. Uh, the deliberative process privilege. I hate to bore you with FOIA terms, but it's an important one. The government essentially says that uh, documents about decision-making can't be released. The back and forth about a decision can't be released. Of course, those are the very documents we want. And so what happens is we, are at, we ask for documents and there's all this back and forth about for instance, the talking points that Loretta Lynch used, or the Justice Department used, after her secret tete-a-tete with Bill Clinton was exposed on the tarmac. They're talking points, completely blacked out. Deliberative process privilege. And we can't get to them because... The Justice Department, even under, I think it was under Jeff Sessions at the time, didn't want to release them, even though they could have, because they don't want to chill future government deliberations. So they need to broaden this transparency effort, but boy, the declassification is going to go a long way in exposing the key coup and seditious activity targeting our government under Barack Obama and the early part of the Trump administration. 
So good news there. And of course, our lawsuits, uh, we may get even more documents as a result. But, um, but in the meantime, we're still getting documents. This is the great thing about what we do. We have literally hundreds of lawsuits. So we've got this critical mass of federal lawsuits. And then, of course, we have underlying FOIAs. We don't always have to sue. Sometimes we get the documents without suing. But this one we did have to sue for. And uh, we had talked about, this is interesting, documents we had received from the Justice Department about, um, uh, what, did, what did we ask for? We were asking for records for uh, Bruce Orr, communications with Nellie Orr and things like that. And we had received a bunch of documents. Uh, these are the documents that showed that uh, Bruce Orr remained in regular contact with Christopher Steele, had 60 or so communications, Christopher Steele, the Clinton spy. You know, that boring lawsuit that exposed that the Justice Department was colluding with Clinton agent Christopher Steele in 2017, despite the fact that the FBI fired Steele. And by the way, the FBI was happy to have the DOJ collude because they then laundered it through the DOJ back to the FBI as part of this Get Trump effort. Judicial Watch exposed that. And it also exposed that Nellie Orr, who was working with Christopher Steele at Fusion GPS, Fusion GPS hired Steele on behalf of the Clinton DNC operation, Nellie Orr was communicating with the DOJ so much she might as well have had a desk there. It's so bad that her testimony was um, to Congress suggesting that she really wasn't talking to anyone about this stuff was called into question. There's a criminal referral thanks to Judicial Watch's FOIA request and lawsuit getting information. But we get hundreds of pages of documents. We try to go through them, highlight the important ones. But one of the reasons we put them up on the Internet is so that everyone else can look at them. And so, and of course, we just keep on looking at them as well because there's always something new and interesting to be found. So of the documents we were previously released, we found something else just buried at the back. And it was an email from Nellie Orr sent back to Bruce. Subject, Ray, analyst, Russia, organized crime, April 16th. Nellie Orr writes Bruce Orr, April 20th, 2016. Thanks. I'm deleting these emails now. Whoa. What emails was she deleting? Doesn't say. The subject line gives us an idea, but that doesn't mean is what it is. They could be emails related to the Attorney General's investigation or the IG investigation. The subject line references, at least indirectly, communications between Bruce Orr and Lisa Holton who worked with Bruce Orr, who was a regular correspondent with Nellie, Nellie and Stefan Bress, first secretary of the German embassy. They're talking about Russia influence operations in Europe, giving out names and other details of German analysts. So I don't know if this is what they wanted to delete, this occurred again, April 2016, around the time things started heating up in terms of targeting then-candidate Trump, which raises the issue whether this is relevant. Anytime you see, though, government emails being destroyed, you have to ask why. And whether it's relevant or not, 
the fact that government emails are being destroyed is problematic legally as it is. In fact, the court in this case may want to know what went on. Again, this is Judicial Watch uncovering this, not Congress, not the media. And of course, we, can't, we don't stop. We find documents sometimes, and then we actually have to follow up with new FOIAs and new lawsuits based on the documents we found. And this happened with Hillary Clinton recently. Hillary Clinton, uh, we had done um, a Freedom of Information Act request and lawsuit about the sham investigation of her email practices, the FBI investigation under Comey and DOJ investigation under Loretta Lynch. And this one, uh, this lawsuit, uh, sought uh, documents about, uh, well, the lawsuit that generated the document that's of interest to us was for basically the investigative file, as best we were able to get from the FBI. And they've been releasing these investigative files up on the Internet, uh, the, um, the two lawsuits to us, I guess. No, one lawsuit. U.S. Justice Department, Judicial Watch versus Justice Department. We filed this uh, back in um, January 2018. So they've been releasing the documents in dribs and drabs. So the documents show that three days after then-FBI Director James Comey's press conference announcing that he would not recommend a prosecution of Mrs. Clinton... A July 8, 2016 email chain shows that Special Counsel, the FBI's Executive Assistant Director in Charge of the National Security Branch, wrote names redacted, wrote to Strzok and others. Though this isn't a lawsuit for the FBI investigative file. This is a lawsuit for Peter Strzok, Lisa Page emails. <laughs> Even better. So this National Security Branch official writes to Strzok that he was producing a chart of the statutory violations considered during the investigation of Clinton's server and the reasons for the recommendations not to prosecute. Where is this chart? And you can read the material, and uh, we'll link it up to the press releases on our website at judicialwatch.org. You go to the releases, you can find them. And finally, someone writes to Strzok, I'm really not sure why they continued working on these points. In the morning, I'll make sure Andy McCabe tells another FBI official to keep these in his pocket. Lisa Page replies, yes, agree, this is not a good idea. So here we've got evidence of the FBI, quote, keeping in its pocket a chart of possible crimes Hillary Clinton committed, and I'm sure the weak reasons they decided not to prosecute her. And the FBI, this is what I love about this story, is the FBI, like, uh, you know, the bureaucracy it is, the machine keeps turning. So they're like, look, this, the, the Comey already shut it down. Why are we writing more material about her crimes? Keep it in your pocket. So Judicial Watch just sued for these documents. I mean, this shows you why our work is so important and why, frankly, I, uh, our expertise is so important. And I, uh, I can't give enough credit to our investigators and lawyers because you get these documents and you've got to see, A, why they're important, and then recognize 
Well, we have to get them and then ask for them again and sue for them again because of the cover-up operation uh, that is the FBI's approach to FOIA. And I have to say something about the director of the FBI, Director Ray. I was critical of him on Lou Dobbs. I was critical of him the other day, and the president's been retweeting my critiques of Ray, which suggests that he uh, agrees with them. The FBI is taking the legal position that they shouldn't have to search for text messages of FBI officials, even though they have them, even though we can give them search terms. So they have all the text messages and they think they're not subject to FOIA. So this protects Andrew McCabe, James Comey, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, all the rest. And we know they're there. We're representing Jeffrey Danik, a retired senior guy at the FBI. He knows where all the agency records are. He worked there. He knows what, how the agencies run. It's not a state secret. But they don't want to give them to us. And Director Ray. He needs to step up and stop this stonewalling and obstruction. And this is why I get so heated and excited because I don't like this corruption. I don't like the stonewalling. And frankly, the Attorney General needs to get on the ball on this too. The Justice Department is a black hole when it comes to FOIA. As I said, this classified, declassified, this. Uh, Declassification memorandum by the president is truly historic and great, but there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of transparency. If I were the president, I'd follow up on this and bring in all the cabinet agency heads and say, look, you need to start releasing documents, err on the side of transparency, stop pretending to worry about deliberative process privilege, certainly about decisions that happened years ago, and start releasing these records to Judicial Watch. And we're not the only ones asking for records. Some media organizations are doing it. We represent media organizations like the Daily Caller News Foundation. Other reporters here in town asking for these records. And of course, we informally help people all the time asking for records. Transparency is the key to draining the swamp. So we had a nice little victory this week that we announced as well. Um, You've heard of Antifa. These are the violent leftists who often riot and attack their uh, what anyone they perceive to be an enemy on the streets. They're very powerful on the West Coast. They usually are dressed in black or in masks. Sometimes they're not. And uh, one of these Antifa organizers and activists is a woman called. uh, Her name is Yvette. Falarka, who's a middle school t- teacher in Berkeley, uh, in Berkeley, Unified School District out in Berkeley, California. And Falarka had sued Berkeley's uh, school district to try to stop Judicial Watch from getting documents about her. Why were we interested in her? She's a prominent figure in By Any Means Necessary. By Any Means Necessary. 
they might as well write by violent means necessary. A group funded by the Marxist Revolutionary Workers League that, quote, protests conservative speaking engagements. In 2016, Ferlarka and two of her allies were arrested and charged with several, several crimes, including felony assault for inciting a riot in Sacramento. And earlier this year, Ferlarka was ordered to stand trial for assault. Now, we wanted to know from Berkeley information about her Antifa activism, its effect within the school district. And she sued trying to keep us from getting the records. And we had to intervene to go into court there. She said that Judicial Watch was misusing the law for political purposes and that the school district should refuse to provide the information. I'll tell you, that was an unusual lawsuit, an unusual federal lawsuit. It's just remarkable that it even went as far as it did. So the good news is we won because her lawsuit was ruled by a federal court judge to be entirely frivolous and that uh, Ferlarka and her two co-plaintiffs have been ordered to pay Judicial Watch $22,000 in attorney's fees and $4,000 in litigation costs. Judge, uh, um, Judge Vince uh, Charabria, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, it's her, his name is pronounced or spelled C-H-H-A-B-R-I-A. Chabria, I would guess this name is pronounced. He wrote in his ruling that the legal fees to Judicial Watch uh, should be given because Falorca and her co-plaintiffs' First Amendment claims were premised on the obviously baseless assumption that the First Amendment condemns the speech of some while condoning the ideological missions of others. So for Locker tried to deny us our free speech rights, our First Amendment rights, while suggesting her right to advocate and actually engage in violence should be protected from any questioning. She also, the plaintiffs also mischaracterized the documents under review and that the plaintiffs, Falarka and company, failed to grapple with the role Ms. Falarka played in making herself a topic of public discourse through her physical conduct at public rallies. That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? And her voluntary appearance on Fox News. So she was on, I think she was on Tucker Carlson. I don't think I ever watched that. I'm sure it's pretty good. The judge's order states that a significant portion of the documents the plaintiffs initially sued to protect from disclosure had been publicly disclosed months earlier in another suit. Brought by who? For Larka. Where she was represented by the same lawyer in this case. So obviously they had no reasonable argument to protect these documents from disclosure, don't you think? That's what the court ruled. So the ultimate ruling is Judicial Watch is entitled to attorney's fees because the plaintiff's lawsuit was frivolous and their litigation conduct was unreasonable. So they're jointly and several liable, jointly and severally liable, meaning they're all responsible to pay Judicial Watch's $4,000 in litigation expenses. And of course, there's the $22,000 in legal fees. 
In a separate order, she was ordered to pay $11,000 for her frivolous attempt to get a restraining order against, I guess, one of the targets of her ire, Troy Rorden, the former head of the U.S., uh, the UC Berkeley College Republicans. This is a huge victory against Antifa, who are misusing the courts to attack Judicial Watch, smear us, and prevent you and Judicial Watch, the American people, from getting access about this violent individual who's teaching our kids. So I'm, I'm glad Judicial Watch, is, this doesn't cover nearly all of our costs, by the way, so, uh, but it's, it's positive. It's a, it's a significant strike for justice here. Obviously, this is getting national attention because of Judicial Watch. I mean, the battles against lawlessness occur all over the country. It's not just here in Washington. It's in California. It's in other places. And I'm glad that we were able to get this victory on your behalf. And I think we reviewed the documents. The documents show that obviously people were concerned about her being a teacher at the school and what teach kids were learning and hearing about. So so good news there. Violent Antifa activist has to pay Judicial Watch over her pursuing an entirely frivolous lawsuit to prevent us from getting the documents we're entitled to under the law. So great news there. So I just hope, uh, you know, we're, fa- we're coming up on Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend, uh, which we honor the fallen who put their lives, um, who lost their lives defending our freedoms. Uh, I'm a big fan of Memorial Day. Uh, I'm personally close to it because the official holiday, May 30th, is my birthday. So that's next week, May 30th. So it's unofficial. I guess it's celebrated by the federal government on Monday. Uh, when I turn 51 next week. But uh, I, I love Memorial Day because it reminds us of what's at stake here. People have died for these freedoms uh, that we are able to uh, exercise still today. Despite all the issues we have, this is still the greatest country in America, the greatest country in the world. I'm sure you all agree. Greatest country in the world by far. And one of the reasons it's great is because untold numbers of Americans died trying to defend our freedoms and guaranteeing our freedoms. And so we honor them on Memorial Day. And uh, I'd, I'd like to think in, in our own way, at least at Judicial Watch, the least we can do is exercise the precious freedoms and rights they left to us to hold our government accountable. That's the least we can be doing. I mean, I don't do anything dangerous other than get on the metro here and get into a cab now and again. There are people every day who put their lives on the line so that we can be free. And we can't take that for granted. We have this precious right that allows us to hold our government accountable. The First Amendment, the right to petition our government, And the least we can do is exercise it when the situation warrants it. And uh, I'd like to think that Judicial Watch is, in its small way, and look, we we are supported by hundreds of thousands of Americans, and I'm sure many of them share my views here, 
that the least we can do is use the, our talent and our treasure to protect our Constitution, uphold the rule of law, make sure our government is following the rule of law, trying to excise corruption and corrupt public officials. So with, that, with those thoughts, I wish you uh, a safe Memorial Day. I hope you enjoy the holiday, but I also hope you take time to pause and remember uh, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our great nation. Thank you, and have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time here on Judicial Watch's Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.